moved by the sound of his voice. Seas that are shaken and stirred can be calmed and broken for my With my soul 
Good morning, and I would just like to say welcome and happy new year. Happy new year. It's, uh, we're so thankful that we can say we're looking back on 2020, and uh, I don't know what it is about that January 1st, what that does for us, but the fact is we're going to begin 2021 hopefully the same way we live 2020, and that is with our eyes on the Lord. That is our only hope. He is the unchanging one, and uh, he is the one we rest in. But I do want to say welcome and happy new year. I'm so thankful that y'all can all be here today with us. I'm thankful that we can actually come together still in the building. We're thankful for those that are joining us online, and we're also thankful for those that are in the parking lot. We are, those separated by walls sometimes, and a little bit of distance, we are together here, and we are here to worship the Lord, not only in this building, but in our living rooms, in our cars, and um, just want to thank y'all for your faithfulness as you've gathered here today. But I do want to say this as Christians, as I just said, we do want to begin this year looking to the Lord, resting in him, because our God is great, and our God is good, and our God is faithful, and he will not change, and we put our rest completely and solely in him, and I hope that as we gather here to worship, you can honestly say that it is well with your soul, no matter what's going on in this world, no matter what the storms look like, it is well with our soul, because we rest in our God, so I'm going to ask you to stand as we gather for worship, as you stand, look at your neighbor, if you can see them, Wave at them, say Happy New Year, and welcome them to the service, and let's begin to worship.
Awesome. Thank you. You know, oftentimes I'll say this. What are you expecting God to do this week because of the prayers you prayed last week? Now think about that. What are you expecting God to do this week because of the prayers by faith in Jesus' name you prayed last week? Let this prayer time be that prayer. Okay, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And as you acknowledge the sovereignty of God, the trust that we have in our God, the one and only true God, as we pray in Jesus' name, pray now for spiritual, eternal things you want to see God to do this coming week. Use this time for that prayer in your family, in your personal life, spiritually speaking. What are the goals that you have spiritually speaking in your life that you want to see God to do in your life? Father, as we come to you in prayer, Lord, we want to thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be able to worship together. We want to thank you that when we pray as your children, you hear us. And Father, we're so thankful that, Lord, we can pray in Jesus' name. Lord, I'm reminded as I stand here and look out among the congregation that, Lord, there are five sets of families in the last two weeks who have lost loved ones, and we lift them up to you in prayer. We're so thankful for your grace that is sufficient when we face death and when our loved ones have gone on. And Father, you be their refuge and strength. Father, we thank you that we can call on you and ask in Jesus' name. You told us to ask. We have not because we ask not. So Lord, now we ask for things for our family, spiritually speaking. Bless us, Lord, for our church, for our community, Lord, for our country. Lord, we pray for our nation. Lord, we pray for those who are sick, Father, we pray for healing. We pray for the end of a virus. Father, we pray for that. We ask that in Jesus' name. And Father, we thank you that, Lord, your, your presence is with us always and your throne is fixed. And we love you today, Father. In Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people said together, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. i
Amen. Thank you, man. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 2. And if you will stand with me, we're going to read down through verse 12. We're going to be talking about the Magi this morning, or commonly known in, our, in my translation as the wise men. And the question we'll be asking ourselves is this, who were these men? Why did they come to see Jesus? Uh, are, are our nativity scenes right? Are our Christmas cards right? Or are they wrong? Let's see together. Notice what the Bible says. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, notice this. These wise men see a star, and as far as we know, they're the only ones that saw it. They see a star, they come to find a baby who's been born king of the Jews so they could worship him. That's an amazing statement. If you find out who these magi are, this is an incredibly amazing statement. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. If you study that word for trouble, it means agitated, it means uh, horrified, it means shocked, it means very disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. Now why would that be? Because, and I'll tell you this, the sight of magi would have shook up the whole town. Some people say, well, were there three wise men? There could have been 20 wise men. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say they had three gifts. And they would always travel with an army with them. It says when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born because he didn't know. So they all said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is written by the prophet, this is out of Micah 5, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. Everyone knew that the, the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. When the wise men show up asking for this child, it's amazing how Herod gets the chief priests and the scribes together, and he says, Is this true? And they said, Yes. And then notice what Herod says in verse 7. This shows the, uh, really the character of this man. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring him back to me, that I may come to worship him also. Wow, this is a very cruel man. And when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, there's a star again, which they had seen in the east, went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And when they had come into the house, notice, they come into the house. They walk into a house, all right? They come into a house, and they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down. Who did they worship? Jesus. The only person you can worship without being a blasphemer is Jesus, all right? So they worship him, and, and when they had opened their treasures, they have gifts for a king. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for this amazing story, this amazing account, Lord, uh, in the life of our Savior whenever he was just a young child. And Father, I pray that you would encourage us with it, with the truth of your word. We want to tell you that we love you today, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So the first thing we see here are the Magi. I'll notice in verse 1 on the screen. Now, after Jesus was born, this is after his birth in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod. What Matthew does here is he's given us a historical fact. This was in the days of Herod the king. Now, we know, based on history, historical fact, that Herod died around 4 B.C. So Jesus was born probably, like I said last week, late 6 B.C., early 5 B.C. So at the time of this story, Jesus is probably one, one and a half years old. That's why Matthew mentions that. 
It says, born in Bethlehem in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. The, in, in the uh, Greek word, it'd be the word magi. What the word magi means is this. It means wise men, which is translated here in the New, New King James Version. And they would come bringing gifts. There were probably many of them because they traveled in groups. What is important is this word magi, because that tells us a lot about them. That what the word magi referred to was a special elite group of counselors who surrounded the throne of eastern monarchs. They were really the power behind the thrones in the east, probably from Babylon or Mesopotamia. In the Greek Old Testament, called the Septuagint, this is where this word magi occurs in Daniel chapter 2. And as Matthew writes the New Testament here in his gospel, it gives the ideas that his reader would know who and what the magi are. Why? Because if you'll turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 2, if you'll turn with me real quickly to Daniel chapter 2, very important. Because Matthew is going to do a great detail explaining who the Magi are, because he, he understood that the Jews would know who they are, and they would know a very, very famous Magi from the Old Testament. Notice what chapter 2, verse 1 says, and I think it may be on the screen. Yep. Well, I think you have verse 2 up there. But notice this. It says, Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, when the children of Israel are in Babylon captivity, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. Then the king gave the command to all the magicians. That word is for magi. Okay? To all the, that's where you get the word uh, magi from, or magicians from, is from the word magi. So he calls the magi, the wisest men, they're number one on the list, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the... Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I've had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. So you got to understand here what you have here with King Nebuchadnezzar. You have the king calling in these people who were conjurers, they were chanters, they were sorcerers who dealt in black magic, and the Chaldeans were a special kind of pagan priest. So everybody's spiritual. Everybody's got some kind of religious thought. And this, but this is a life without God. Believe everything but the truth. And number one on this list were the Magi, who, who mixed some Eastern religion with astrology and black mag magic. They called on Satan, even though they didn't know him by name. But they mainly gave counsel to the kings. That's why he calls them first. All right? He calls the Magi, and they were the king makers. They were the king advisors. They were behind their power behind the throne of every king in the East. So he calls on them. Now notice how this goes. And the king said to them, verse 3, I've had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we'll give you the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, My decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut into pieces, and your houses shall be made an ash heap. That kind of will solve the problem of whether you're a false prophet or not, right? If you don't interpret the dream, I'll cut you in pieces, and he meant it. And then I'll burn your houses to the ground. However, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. Now notice what they said. They answered and said again, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and he will give its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you will gain time because you see that my, dream is firm, my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, there is only one decree for you. For you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can give me this interpretation. So he puts them to the test. You say you know all this stuff, then tell me what I dreamed. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There's not a man on earth 
who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such things of any magi, astrologer, or Chaldean. It is a difficult thing that the king requests, and there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this reason, the king was angry and very furious and gave command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. They're number one on the list. They're the advisors. They're the spiritual elite of his day. Okay? They, they give counsel to the king, and he said, if they can't answer my dream, kill them. What good are they? Now notice, so the decree went out, and they began killing the wise men, the magi. And they sought, out Dan, and, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them because they were working with them. Then the council, and what happens is this, the council goes to Daniel, right? They go to Daniel and tell him what's happening. Daniel says, listen, I'll, I'll tell the king what the dream is all about. And what Daniel does, he goes to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and says, let's pray. Notice what Daniel says in verse 20. Blessed be the name of God, because God gave him the, the, the dream in verse 19. It says, the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And Daniel answered and said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever. For wisdom and might are his, and he changes the times and seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness, and light dwells with, with him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you may have made known known to us the king's demand so what Daniel does is he goes back to the king and he says I can tell you everything about your dream and what he does he, he gives the king a list of kingdoms that are coming number one that he listed in verse uh, verse 36 through 38 was his kingdom if you read verses 36 through 38 that speaks of the Babylonian kingdom that was easy verse 39 he talks about the Medes and the Persians verse 40 through 40 uh, verse uh, 40, he talks about the Grecian Empire that brought about Alexander the Great. But then verses 40 through 43, he talks about the Roman Empire, where, the, where Matthew chapter 2 takes place. And then something happens in verse 44, if you'll notice it on the screen. This is what Daniel says. In the days of those, these kings, Roman, the Roman Empire, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break into pieces and consume all these other kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. And whenever, whenever um, Daniel gave this decree to the king Nebuchadnezzar, most powerful man on the earth, this is what he does in verse 48. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men or the magi of Babylon. Now think about this. God sovereignly put Daniel in Babylon to interpret a dream. And what the king does is he makes him the head of the, of the Magi. And what this is, this, this basically will tell you that for generation after generation, this story of a king is coming. A king is coming. A kingdom is going to be set up. God is going to tell us, He'll be the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He'll crush all the kingdoms, and He'll rule the world. And this stayed, in my opinion, with the Magi up until we get to Matthew chapter 2. And then what happens in Matthew chapter 2? Here come the Magi. Look at verse 2. Notice what they say. Because they were looking for this, this, uh, this sign. It says in verse 2, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews, for have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him? That is a present participle. Which means they were asking everyone over and over again in haste. Imagine the scene. Where is the king of the Jews? They're bold. They're not ashamed about it. 
They say, there's a kingdom that's going to be set up by a child and it's going to last forever. They're not coming out of curiosity. They're not archaeologists. They're not history people. They're not scavenger hunters. Notice what it says. Notice in verse 2, for we have seen his star in the east and we have come to worship him. Now, John MacArthur put it this way. He says, when suddenly these Persian, Persian kingmakers appeared in Jerusalem, no doubt traveling in full force with all their oriental pomp, and they would, use, they would wear conical hats, kind of like a wizard, with points at the top and big deals that clear down to the bottom of their chin, and they rode Persian steeds, not camels. And when they came in, came in they didn't come alone. The estimates of history are they came with the Persian cavalry. When they came charging into the city of Jerusalem, and Herod peeked out his little palace window, he was deeply disturbed. Remember, these are imperial counselors to the kings of the Far East. They come to a Jewish land to find and worship the king of kings. They have left their kings to come worship the king of kings. No distance is too great to travel to worship the king. There's no too great a cost. So what you have here is you don't, probably don't have three men riding on camels. You have a whole group of wise men coming from the east who left their kingdom with a Persian army, army on Persian steeds. They come into this place looking for the king of kings. Now, we see the Magi. Notice Herod. If you'll notice in verse 3, notice what the Bible says. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and then all of Jerusalem with him. Shook up the whole town. Three guys riding on a camel is not going to do that. You have these kingmakers come in, all right? And, and then Herod the king heard this, and he was troubled. Look at the word Herod. I read some history on Herod, and now that, this was his title. According to history, he was a great builder. He gave Jerusalem an amphitheater. He started the construction and rebuilding of the temple. It would be called Herod's Temple. He was an outstanding orator, they say, and a decisive leader. He was a skilled diplomat. He was very intelligent. He was rich, great speaker, but he was cruel, very cruel. As a matter of fact, he killed one of his wives and some of his sons just to stay king of the Jews. That title was given to him by Caesar Augustus, who we looked at last week. Caesar Augustus crowned him the king of the Jews. Now he hears this. We're coming to find the new king. And you know what Herod's going to do? He's going to kill every baby boy two years and younger to stay king of the Jews. Look at verse 4. The Bible says this. This is what Herod does. He calls for the chief priests and the scribes. This was part of the Sanhedrin. And then they basically say, where, where, where is this king to be born? So they quote Old Testament prophecy. Well, if it is the, truly the king, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Because Micah 5.2 says this. And then notice verse 7. Then Herod, when he had secretly caused the wise men, he determined for them what time the star had appeared. He didn't see it. He says, what time, what time did it appear? Because he wants to discern the age of the child. And what you have here in this star is you have this Shekinah glory of God, I believe, that goes and stops. It appears to whom it wants to, and then it disappears when it wants to. And then look at verse 8. The Bible says this. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come north from also. So what Herod understands in verse 8, that this is not a little baby in the manger. This is a young child at this point. This is not a baby. This is a child. And he says, I want you to come and bring the child to me so that I can worship him. And I'll tell you this. One guy put this. His hypocrisy has no end. He says, I want to worship him. Nothing is more dangerous than fake religion 
for false religion. And that's what Herod is showing. He called religious people together. He called wise men together who had a spiritual background. They're looking for the king of kings. And he says, bring the baby here so that I may worship him. Now, that's Herod. You have the wise men. You have Herod. Now, notice in verse 9, notice the star. Notice what the Bible says. And when they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them. Now, is this Jupiter and Saturn? No, it's not. This is a star, probably a little bit lower. Okay, When, when the children of Israel were in the wilderness, the Bible says a, a cloud would lead them. Okay, This is a star. Probably only, only they saw the star. When, when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them. This star is moving. It is moving. It's almost like God is pointing to them. There is a Jesus has been born. Okay? We don't see this today, but we have the Holy Spirit of God, right? No one can call Jesus Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Nobody can. Unless God the Holy Spirit initiates your salvation, you can't be saved. What this star does, this star supernaturally points people to Jesus. Stephen Lawson said this, this star is lower and closer and gives God, its, it moves to the exact spot where the child is. It's like the finger of God pointing to the very house where Jesus is. This is supernatural intervention. This is how you were saved. God, through the Holy Spirit, convicted your heart to, to show you your need for Jesus. Paul shares this in Romans chapter 3. Listen to what Paul says. There is no one righteous. Aren't you thankful we're all in the same boat? There is no one righteous. Not even one person is righteous. Only one righteous has ever walked the earth, and that was Jesus. There is no one who understands. There is no one who on your own seeks God. See, the wise men on their own wasn't seeking God. God initiated in their heart. Look, all have turned away. They have become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And then Paul goes on to say this. We know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth be silenced and the whole world held accountable before God. And what Paul is saying is this. You're not righteous and you're guilty before God. And if you die that way and stand before God on judgment day, you're going to be held accountable and, that, and you'll be silent, he says. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in the sight of God by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. What he says is you're, you're, you're trying to keep the law is not saving you. You're not good enough. You'll never be good enough. There are not an, enough religious deeds that you can do to save yourself. And then Paul goes on to say this, But now, because Jesus has been born, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. And what Paul says, this has been prophesied Throughout the whole Old Testament, Jesus spoke about it. There's a way to be saved apart from the law. He says this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus to all who believe. Isn't that amazing? You can be right with God, not by keeping the law or memorizing the Bible, but by believing in Jesus Christ. Now think about the wise men. These men are from Persia, counselors to the king, and they come in and they acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. They are saved apart from works in a land of religious people trying to be saved by their works. It's amazing. And then Paul goes on to say this. He says, This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that, come, that came by Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood, to be received by faith. It's amazing. By faith. You're saved by faith. I place my faith and trust in the resurrected Christ. Where then is boasting, Paul says? Who can boast in that? 
It's not like I'm better than you. It's not American Idol. Your salvation is not American Idol where you can sing better or look better than somebody else or you, you know more Bible verses. No, you just place your faith and trust in Jesus. And that's what these wise men are doing. Think about this. They're just coming to a kid to worship him. He says, because of what? He said, where's your boasting? It's excluded. Because of what? The law that requires works? No, because the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified, declared not guilty in the highest court of the, uh, in the universe, which is in God's court. We are justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Aren't you thankful? It's, it's not about how good or bad you are. You're a sinner. We're all, we're all equal in that. We all need Jesus. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles too? According to our story is, first people who get saved are Gentiles. Isn't it amazing? He says, yes, of the Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised of heart by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. The Magi acted upon the revelation given by God and they placed their faith in Jesus. Notice verse 10. This is what happens. And when they saw the star again... They rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they found the house because the star was over the house and said, this is the, where he is. When they came into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. Don't even acknowledge Mary. You know, you can rub all the beads you want to and chant to Mary all you want to. Nobody's hearing you. Nobody's hearing you. You only pray to God in Jesus' name. They fell down and worshipped him. Look at the word. These are, think about this for a minute. There could have been as many as a hundred men there outside that house. And these wise men come in, probably with a Persian cavalry with them, and they start worshiping a young child. Worship, that means to kiss toward. That's what that means. That means to fall down on your face before. Think about this. I heard one scholar say, in his group, if Shakespeare would walk in the room, everybody would stand up. But he said, if Jesus Christ walked in the room, everybody falls down as dead men. Because he's the only one worthy of worship. These wise men, these, these spiritual men, they walk in and then they worship. And notice what happens next. If you'll notice the next verse, they brought gifts. They fell to the ground. They fell to the ground just as John did in Revelation when John said, I saw him and I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and he said, Do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead and now look, I'm alive forever and ever. I hold the keys of death and Hades. When John saw Jesus, he fell down as a dead man. When Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up in Isaiah 6, he pronounced judgment on himself. Now you have the Magi who fall down at the feet of this child and they worship. There's no other response. They ascribe worship and praise to a baby. They've been given counsel to kings of the east, some of the most powerful uh, 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 provinces in the east, and they come and they find a little baby, and they ascribe all that worship and glory that they gave to a, a human king to the king of kings. It's an amazing story. They fall down, and, and, and what they do is they brought gifts. They brought gifts because one man said all worshipers are givers. Some say these are prophetic gifts. Let's look at what they gave. These are, these are gifts you give to a king. You give gold to a king. It speaks of his right to rule. Jesus said this later, and the Magi understand this. They're saying this is not a king like our king. This is the king of all kings. Because in Daniel 2, 44, this, this king 
ultimately will set up his kingdom to crush all other kingdoms. He is the king of kings. Jesus said this before, uh, during the Great Commission. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority. Paul told Timothy, listen to what Paul told Timothy in Ephesus. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good, good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach till the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, which he, Jesus, will display at the proper time. He who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen nor can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Paul is worshiping as he writes this letter to Timothy, saying Jesus Christ is the Lord of lords, the King of kings. He's the only sovereign. That's what the, the wise men are saying here when they give him gold. He will come and he'll be crowned king of kings. Revelation 19.12 says this, His eyes are like a blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. You know what that means? You can't describe him. They gave Gavius, Octavius the name Caesar Augustus because it was the highest name you could give any human being. We looked at that last week. In Revelation, it gives Jesus a name that nobody knows because you cannot describe him. Every tongue will declare the sovereign lordship of Jesus Christ. Friend, every tongue will. There are no atheists in hell. And these wise men are giving him gold to signify that. You are the king of all kings. You are the sovereign one. You alone are the king. And then they give him frankincense. This was used in the worship of God. Now think about that. Frankincense was used in the worship of God. You only use frankincense if you're going to worship your God. And these wise men who came from countries where there were all sorts of gods being worshipped, they practiced black magic. They said, no, this is the God. This child is the God. He is God in flesh. He'll have all the attributes of God. He'll speak as God. He'll have authority like God. He'll, he'll, he'll stop the weather like God. He'll forgive sins, and only God can forgive sins. When they give him frankincense, what they're basically saying is this child is not just the king of kings, but this child is God. And now notice, they give him myrrh, which he used to embalm bodies. Prophetically speaking, most scholars think that they understood that this child was going to die. That this child had to die for our sins to give us a righteousness apart from the law. God had to come. The sacrifice had to be perfect and sinless. You're not bought with silver and gold, Peter said. But you're bought with the blood of a precious lamb that is without spot and without blemish. It's as if the wise men, in their wisdom, understood, hey, this baby's going to be born. He's going to be God, but he's going to die for our sins. And they give him frankincense and myrrh to say, God is going to walk among us, and he's going to die on the cross and bear my sin debt. And I'll tell you this, worshipers always become like the object they worship. Can you imagine the change in the wise men from this day forward? You always become like that which you worship. You want to be more Christ-like? Worship Jesus for who he is. You want to become more like Jesus than worship him? Let me ask you a question in closing. Whom do you worship? Do you know the Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords? Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus? Friends, you can't be saved any other way. You're saved apart from the law by placing your faith in the resurrected Lord. Imagine the boldness. Imagine the, the uh, assurance these men had 
when they go into a house to worship a child, they understood. They're saying, this is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He's the Messiah. He, this is him, and we're worshiping him. Has that ever came, happened in your life? Have you ever came to a point in your life where you said, that he, this is him, and I give my life to him, I worship him, and he's my Lord and Savior. There's no other. I place my faith and trust in Christ alone. Friend, if you're saved today, it's not because you're a good person. It's not because you know the Bible well, even though you may. It's because you placed your faith, like these wise men did, in a young child who grew up, to be, who grew up and was the king, who died on a cross, and who rose from the dead. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. If you're here today and you never placed your faith and trust in Christ, I would encourage you to do that now. Place your faith in Jesus. So, Father, on this day, I give my life to you. I believe in you. I trust in you. You're my only hope for salvation. You cannot save yourself. You'll never be good enough. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, all of us. There is salvation in no other name, no other religion. It's only Jesus. And Jesus, today, we surrender our lives to you, completely to you. Then for those of us that are saved, Father, we want to thank you for being our King, for being our Lord. We want to thank you for being God. We want to thank you for the great sacrifice you made on Calvary's cross, and we thank you for an empty tomb. You are the only sovereign. You are the only king. You are the only Lord. You're God in flesh, and we worship you. Lord, not with gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but Lord, we worship you with our lives. And Lord, we give our lives to you. We give our time, our talent, our treasure to you and to your kingdom, for you alone can save. And we'll thank you and praise you till we see you one day. In Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people say together. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. I just want to mention if you're an active deacon, we will have a deacon's meeting next Sunday morning uh, at 8.30 a.m. in uh, Steve Lackey Sunday School Classroom. God bless you. You're dismissed and hope you have a great week.